Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. guys. Super glad that you're here. My name is Aaron. If we haven't met, I hope you'll uh, come say hello. I would love to talk to you. It's all love, man. I just noticed something I just wanted to point out that, uh, you know, last week worship went kind of long and remember I jokingly blamed it all on David and this week David's in the back with no microphone. Total coincidence. <laughs> just just what was scheduled. <laughs> I just almost felt like I needed to acknowledge it because I like Said mean things jokingly then, too. And anyway, all right, welcome to the vineyard. That's my goodness. Uh, really glad you guys are here. Let me take a moment to pray, and we're going we're gonna to dive right in. Lord, we love you so much. It is good to be in your presence. It's good to be in this place, to breathe the air of Christian community, of fellowship, that we can uh, be here with you in this place. Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us. Help us uh, not to miss whatever you have for us. And, and Lord, uh, for this message that I have today, I just ask, Lord, that uh, you put power on it, um, and, and sincerely, everything that's true, Lord, may it just resonate deeply with us. If there's anything I say that's off or confusing, or off, I just pray that it would just fall to the ground and not even be heard. Lord, we just, we just want to walk in your truth, your truth, and we acknowledge our own weaknesses as carriers of that truth, but you've entrusted it to us. So, uh, so Lord, come and uh, speak to us in this place. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. All right, good to be with you guys. And for those who are online, we love you. Really glad you've joined us online. I'm just going to jump right in here, uh, read you some words from the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 2. He writes this, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. I just want to point out that if you do stay rooted and established in faith, then you will be overflowing with gratitude. That's not what the sermon's about, but I, I'm a preacher. I cannot say stuff like that when I read it. Uh, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's the head over every ruler, every authority. Okay, so uh, that's our big idea for today. Um, a fair warning, I'm just a lot of, it's, it's a lot of heady stuff coming at you this week. Um, so I want to encourage you to really lean in and, and be engaged. Also, when I say a lot of heady things in one sermon, I get nervous that you guys aren't still with me. Um, and you know how I ask for feedback, and it doesn't always go well. Uh, so I decided uh, this week I would ask for thumbs up. Let's see how it looks. Okay, cool. So when I ask, how are we doing? You still with me? Whatever. If you'll give me one of these. If you want to throw in a woohoo and make me happy while you're at it, by all means, but this, is, this, this was helpful for me last, uh, in the last service. I got to know the people were uh, with me. And if you go, wow, this is uh, maybe a bit much. It feels a little too uh, heady. Uh, I just, I'm sorry. And then, like, don't stress. This isn't super normative. We're going a little deeper than usual. 
uh, with some big words, more big words than usual. Um, it's not, it's not, our, not our standard, but we have a, I'm convinced the smartest people in all the land have gathered here at Vineyard Church. So, um, so we're going to uh, start off the way that uh, we have the last couple of weeks, with, which is with me giving a really lousy recap. So uh, here comes another flimsy attempt for me to catch up our guests who may be joining us. Uh, for the first time or the first couple of times, uh, welcome. And then also, we're in the middle of a series, and this could be a little bit confusing. So a uh, quick summary, and then, of course, a better route is, is to catch the podcast. Uh, there's this uh, image we've been looking at, a series of, of waves. We'll, we'll look at it one more time. Uh, great moves of God uh, tend to come in waves. And uh, then there are other waves that tend to follow. So there's an outpouring of God's Spirit. Lots of people turn to Jesus. And then from that, there are other things, other essentially consequences, um, although positive consequences, that, that flow out of Christianity becoming um, uh, the dominant religion in a place. And so we've talked about that a lot. And when the wave recedes, looking to the end of the graph here, when the wave recedes following that red line, um, it is often followed by another move of God, another renewal. So it's, it's cyclical. It's cyclical. It's not even, you know, these things are not to scale, by the way. You know, if this is an accurate depiction of history, the, the line would be very, very bouncy, and it would be far more difficult to follow. But we're painting, painting with the broadest possible strokes and saying there's a cycle here. We see this in human history. We see this throughout the Bible, that people turn to the Lord, they turn away from the Lord, and then they tend to turn back to the Lord. The bad news is Christianity has been in decline for a long time in the United States. Uh, there's a silver lining to that, however, which is that now we are at least positioned for a new wave, a new move of God. And, and that could happen today or it could happen centuries from now. I don't know. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make anything here to scale, but I am saying we're in a position now where I think we can see the next move of God. And so what we have been doing is talking about what it looks like for us to be people, to be a church who are helping to bring about that next wave. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so uh, that's the recap. Let me also do one really important vocabulary word, especially if you weren't here week one, because this is, a, this is an important word for us today. Um, if you follow wave two on that line, and you see in gray the word uh, Christendom, that's our word for the day yet again. Let me describe what that is. Christianity, or Christendom is not Christianity. Christendom is the culture that emerges in a place where Christianity is the dominant religion. So when lots and lots of people are walking with Jesus, it starts to infiltrate the whole culture. Whether people themselves know Jesus or not, they still start to live within an increasingly Christian society. And what that emerges out of that is, is Christendom. Um, and so uh, Christian faith tells us a story about the world. It tells us the story about the world. It gives us um, a way of seeing things, a way of looking at and addressing the biggest questions in life. And those answers emerge as a part of Christendom in a culture that's predominantly Christian. That's called a Christendom society. Let me read you a quote. This is from James Shea. He said this, Faith gives us from God himself, the overall narrative for the human race, who we are, who God is, what his purposes toward us are, how we have gotten into our current state, 
what God is doing about it, what is coming in the future, and therefore how we should live. That's a lot. That's a lot of what gets explained through Christianity. Christianity tells us the story of the world. And in Christendom, a Christendom culture, that story becomes, to a great degree, the default story for most people. Again, even for people who aren't Christians, because the ideas themselves become common, they become pervasive, and people sort of pick them up almost by osmosis, a Christendom society. Does it make sense? We're still doing all right? We're still doing all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, In the book I just quoted, um, this is called a ruling vision, and I think that's a helpful helpful picture, a ruling vision. Think of it this way. Um, In a Christian society, Christendom, that cultural reality, Okay. It sits on the throne of our culture. So picture that. In a Christian society, Christendom sits on the throne of that culture. And it shapes the worldview. It provides the default story of everything. But like what we've been saying, Christianity has been in decline now for several decades, at least in the United States. And Christendom itself now has collapsed. In America, Christendom has collapsed. It has fallen from that throne. So for a long time, Christendom, the cultural reality, picture it on the throne. It has crumbled and fallen from that throne. And now, when you think about this, now that throne is empty. So what does that mean? Well, a couple of things have already happened. First, um, Christian Christians, in response to this, have, and I don't want to be too mean, it's not everybody, but by and large, Christians have panicked, <laughs> and we have tried desperately to try to reestablish Christendom and put Christendom right back on the throne of American culture, because we're freaked out by the fact that it's not there anymore, okay, which is understandable. Um, as we have said, however, a number of times, hopefully it's starting to land with you, to do so, to try to rescue Christendom in that way is a colossal and absolute waste of time, because again, Christendom is not the point. It's just a cultural outcome of genuine Christianity. It's not the point. Jesus is the point. That's where our focus should be. It should be on the next wave of renewal, not frantically trying to get Christendom to return to its former glory, okay? Let's not lose the plot. That was week one of our series, okay? Now, but there's this other thing happening. I want to talk about this today. Is there's now this huge void The cultural throne in America is now vacant. We have no dominant ruling vision. And it's interesting because Christendom didn't fall because a challenger arose and defeated it. That's not what happened. Christendom fell, well, it was death by a thousand tiny cuts. It It was chipped away at by competing ideologies and, frankly, by its own hypocrisy and compromise. And so because the throne wasn't usurped, there wasn't a coup, no one took the throne, there was no one waiting to then take the throne, and there's no heir apparent. The throne is empty. And if the throne in our culture is empty, that means there's no baseline, no default story of everything in the broader culture. Now think about it. Sitting on that cultural throne comes with tremendous power and influence, and societal sway, okay? And so the fact that that is now vacant creates a massive, massive vacuum. 
And, and what's happening here, and this is just the exact same thing that happened a few decades ago in Europe when the same thing happened, okay? Same thing happened there is now happening here, which is there are different ideologies, different worldviews, and they are now competing to ascend and take that throne all at once. And it's making America a very strange place to live right now. Who's still with me? Okay. All right, so that's our premise. We're going to talk about that for a minute. Now, uh, shifting gears, I want to talk about a really, 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 really weird story um, in, from the Bible in Genesis chapter 6. Um, the truth is I'm just using it as an illustration, and I don't even know if the illustration works. It might, this may not prove to be helpful, but the fact is the story is so weird that even if it doesn't work, I think you're more likely to remember what I'm driving at, so I'm giving it a shot, okay? If nothing else, it's just because it's weird. Um, but it makes sense in my mind. We'll see if it does in yours. Genesis chapter 6, there are these mysterious, malevolent, spiritual beings called the sons of God. Very weird. And it's very hard to say what they were or what they were doing or how they got there. It's a very interesting debate. If you want to geek out about it online, you are one Google search away from going down a deep, dark wormhole that I couldn't find the bottom of. I got scared and left. So, like, <laughs> people, I mean, it gets way over my head real fast. But if you want to go in deep into a theological debate, you jump into that one. That's not not what we're doing today. And some will be disappointed because you got the text message and you're like, Aaron's going to give the answers about the Nephilim. Oh, no. Anyway, um, it's hard to say what they were. Um, but either way, at, 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 at basics here, you have evil spirits who were somehow embodied and they found human women attractive, mated with them, and then spawned this weird, evil powerful, hybrid race of beings called the Nephilim. And they were a big problem, okay? And they were hell-bent on, on acquiring power. And they seem to be a real part of why God flooded the earth. Like, those are the next couple of verses. As you move right into that story, it's the very next thing. So anyway, think about it. Weird, hybrid beings that take parts of God's creation, and then wrongly merge with uh, parts of something very different in an attempt to gain dominion. Now, why am I telling you this very weird story? Because uh, I think we are seeing a rise in what I am calling, and I'm just calling them this for my own entertainment, I recognize, but what I'm calling cultural Nephilim. Cultural Nephilim in our society now. Now, to be clear, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a weird new cosmic infestation of evil beings. <laughs> someone should do a movie about that, but not that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a cultural reality, an unholy merger of God things with not God things. And those cultural Nephilim are now vying together to ascend to the vacant throne of American culture. Let me explain what I mean. Hang in. We'll get there. Christendom has collapsed, like we said, but it still has a lot of power. There's a ton. Christendom has an enormous amount of influence and sway in our society even now. Christianity is still by far the dominant religion in the United States, if, even if it's not the dominant worldview. 
there are still lots and lots of people who ascribe to a thoroughly biblical Christian worldview, and it has enormous sway in our culture. Huge. Okay? So here's what's happening. <laughs> Stay with me. Competing ideologies, different worldviews that don't have nearly enough cultural capital or power or influence or sway in order to, on their own, make a legitimate bid for the cultural throne that's now vacant, here's what they're doing. And listen carefully. They're picking up pieces of Christendom, pieces of Christian ideology, and then joining them with their own ideologies, making weird hybrid versions of their worldview, all with the hopes that along the way they sounded Christian enough so that they could use the remains of Christendom and its power and make a successful bid to the throne. Who's with me? I'm going to repeat it. Don't worry. <laughs> there are all these competing ideologies. Christendom was at the top of the heap and sat on the throne. It has since crumbled. Now, there's this very powerful throne that's vacant. And I'm, not, I'm talking about a culture, a cultural forces, okay? And cultural forces, ideologies, worldviews go, that's a remarkable amount of power that is available if I can get it, but I don't have enough on my own to get there. I'm going to pick up some pieces of stuff that people like, including stuff that Christians like, because there's a lot of them here, and then maybe collectively we can blend these things together and have what we need to get to the top and win the day. That's what I'm talking about. Those are the cultural Nephilim. We're going to look at some examples I want to be very clear. I'm going to give you an incomplete list of examples. It's not all of them. Hopefully, though, it's enough, if need be, for us to see some things we might be falling for. And hopefully enough for us to see, oh, that's how this works, so that we don't fall for the other ones. Okay? So that we can be informed. Cultural Nephilim. Now, I said this has already happened in Europe a number of uh, decades ago. So let's start with the one that ultimately took the throne in Europe, okay? which is expressive idealism. I know that's two big words, but you know what it means to be expressive. Um, and I said the wrong word, individualism. <laughs> and you know what it means to be an individual, right? So to be individualistic, so expressive individualism. This is an ideology that elevates individual expression above everything else, right? So things like this, you be you. Be true to yourself, follow your heart no matter what. And what expressive individualism does is it places the individual above the whole. And it's very powerful because it plays on things in our heart that are very deeply embedded. It's fueled by our own um, humanistic and materialistic desires, which we have a lot of. And it's ultimately selfish. And ultimately, our sinful nature is profoundly selfish. And so it gets a lot of influence. Um, the Bible calls this, and this is found in a number of places in the Bible, it says people whose God is their bellies. So think about what the Bible's saying. People go, okay, in my gut, if it feels, if my gut is saying this is right and good, then it must be right and good. That's the final absolute authority. That's the ultimate metric for whether or not I should or shouldn't do something, whether it is right or wrong. My gut, my God is my belly. That's expressive individualism. And individualism, yes. And it had, don't miss it, it has been in the water since day one in America. It ain't new. It's not new. It, like it started with Adam and Eve, y'all, okay? But here's what has happened in our society. Um, principles of expressive individualism 
um, have latched on and, and sort of pulled, taken freight from Christian ideas around personal rights, freedoms, autonomy, the, the intrinsic value of the individual, okay? Those are really powerful ideas in our society from day one, and they're born out of Jesus' teachings. Expressive individualism grabs that stuff from Christianity, and then it marries it with its own idea that personal expression is the highest and the ultimate good. This is the ideology, as I said, that won the throne in Europe. It's probably the betting favorite to win it here, just so you know. Again, it draws us in. Why? Because it makes the individual a god. And it makes the individual ultimately unaccountable. And here's the thing. People really like that. They do. That's not a hard sell. It has some truth. It has some lies. It is a completely inadequate worldview. It's not an adequate story of everything. It's a Nephilim. Just enough of Christianity to fool a lot of Christians. Okay. So that's one. Let's look at Deep breath, everybody. It's going to get real squirmy in here, but you're all going to be fine, okay? All right? I'm not burning it down today, y'all. Don't worry, okay? Not, today's not the day. Let's look at these next two together, which is the political left and the political right. The political left and the political right have done the same thing. Two more Nephilim. Both are, and I don't, I just don't know how you could argue otherwise, and probably you could, and you're probably smarter than me, and you would probably win. But in my mind, I don't know how you could argue otherwise than to say that these two worldviews are vying desperately for the throne of our culture. That feels obvious to me. Okay. So let's start with the political right, because you got to start somewhere. The political right is taking its own view of the world and pulling in Christian ideas. So here's a political ideology. Let's pull in Christian ideas. Ideas around the sanctity of life. Ideas around certain personal freedoms. Christian ideas about certain forms of accountability, certain kinds of fiscal responsibility, pulling all these in from from the Bible, from Christianity, and then mixing it all in with a broad political perspective, hoping that along the way they've picked up enough from their base the political right, from Christendom, and from expressive individualism, because there's a lot of expressive individualism baked into the political right as well. And collectively, hopefully, we've picked up enough pieces to now take the throne. That's what's happening. The political left is doing the same thing in the same way, just picking up different bits. Okay? Same thing, same way, just picking up different stuff, starting with a political vantage point, pulling in Christian ideas about caring for the poor, about loving the foreigner in our midst, ideas about personal freedom and autonomy, just different ideas about personal freedom and autonomy than the right is picking up. They're also pulling in a lot of stuff from expressive individualism, just different bits, just different parts is being pulled in, all with the hope that collectively they've pulled in enough equity from enough of the camps to now take the throne. So, listen closely. Um, don't, don't miss this part, all right? We'll talk about something else at lunch. Um, <laughs> I am not rejecting the political left 
or the political right. I'm just going to be real honest with you, okay? Is this a safe place? Am I loved? <laughs> I don't understand politics. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. I tried to understand it real hard, and it didn't work, okay? So that's where I'm at. I don't know what we should do. I was hoping that one of you guys would figure it out. That's what I'm banking on. Here's this, though. Here's something I do feel strongly about. Really, I think the only thing that I feel strongly about is that we hold on to all of the Christian bits that have been picked up by both sides. That I feel strongly about. I don't reject the political left or the political right. I absolutely, though, reject both of them as a new worldview. It ain't that. Neither of them are adequate to give us a coherent, logical theory of everything or an understanding of absolute truth or reliable representation of ultimate reality. Are you kidding me? Only Christianity can do that. Only Christianity can do that. Politics are supposed to be downriver from our worldview. Do you know what I mean? Like, to put it another way, our worldview is supposed to inform our politics, not the other way around. So what is Aaron saying about politics? Here's what he's saying. Be left, be right, be in the middle, I don't know. But I am pleading with you to reject both of them as the new lenses through which you understand the world. They're not made for that. They're not designed to do that. I think maybe politics is the fastest growing religion in this country, and I think that's not good. A political perspective is just that. It can't possibly bear the weight of explaining everything. I said earlier I was hoping that one of you guys would figure it out. Let's say that you did. You're the one. You're the Neo of politics. You figured it out. You have all the answers and all the right ideas, and you know everything that should and shouldn't get passed. You figured it all out. You did it. And here's what I would say to you. Your political perspective, the perfect one, still cannot begin to bear the weight of explaining everything. Only Jesus can do that. All right. So we okay? Let's do one more. Let's do one more. We're having fun yet? Um, let's do one more. Um, this one will go better or worse. We'll see. Uh, I said earlier that the betting favorite to win this thing out is expressive individualism in the United States. I think that's true. Uh, here in the Bible Belt, though, I think the favorite might be Christian nationalism. So, quickly, or... <laughs> Sorry, I, I just got thirsty. I'm not being dramatic. Um, I, <laughs> someone accused me of doing that for dramatic pause. I was like, I couldn't talk anymore. Anyway, not being dramatic. Um, Christian nationalism is an idea that blends Christianity, patriotism, political activism, which, by the way, hear me, those are three good things. They're good. Th Christianity is an absolute good thing. Um, patriotism, provided you're like honest and reasonable, is a really good thing. Political activism, again, provided you're honest and reasonable, is a really good thing. These are three good things. But it swirls them all together into one bad thing. 
Guys, um, some things just don't belong together. Like, I, I really like vanilla chocolate and strawberry ice cream. They go together well. Apparently, plenty of you like it as well. That's why Neapolitan ice cream is a thing. I like that. Um, you know what I don't like? Like broccoli, a slice of cake, and like a cup of vinegar all swirled together. <laughs> like, I like all of those things. I do. And they're all food. But it's a travesty. Like, it's a sin, I think, to put those things together. I don't have a verse for that, but it feels wrong <laughs> to put those things together. Guys, Christian nationalism is one nasty casserole, guys. I, and here's the thing. I, I am seeing Christians eating it up everywhere I look. Everywhere I look. You know, for a couple of reasons why it's a really nasty. Well, I could give a couple hundred, but here's a, here's, here's a couple. Um, it, it gets real confused sometimes about which exactly of the three is supposed to be on the throne. And the king of glory doesn't share his throne. Um, the other thing is, uh, best I can tell, it seems to be constructed completely around the concept of preserving Christendom, which I think is a total waste of time. So lots of problems here. Um, here's the thing, though. This is the one, I think, that has the best chance of fooling the most sincere Christians. I think it's already fooled, I don't know, untold millions in the United States alone. And this is why. Um, the others take politics as their base and then swirl in some Christianity. This one takes Christianity as its base and then swirls in some other stuff, mixes in the politics. And we, as you know, just like good Bible-believing, Bible Belt Christian folk, we're like way more likely to fall for that one. A lot more trappings of Jesus connected to this one. So, guys, if you hear a teaching, I, I mean, I'm assuming most of you come here most Sundays, but um, anywhere else, um, and here, of course, but if, if you take those three things, you hear a teaching that takes those three things, which, again, are good things. That's what makes it so tricky. Tricky, Christianity, patriotism, political activism. If you see those things getting blended, you need to turn and run because that's called syncretism, and what you're left with isn't Christianity. It's something else. And this is really, really easy to miss. You know why? Because it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, and it flaps like a duck, and it ain't a duck. It's a Nephilim. Don't be fooled. Let's read this verse one more time. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. This is really my whole point today, which is that there's lots of upheaval in our society. Things are kind of wobbly, you know? There's a lot of tension, there's a lot of finger pointing, there's a lot of angst. And I believe that much of that is, I don't know how much, but I mean some significant part of that is because in this society there are all these competing ideologies that are simultaneously vying for cultural dominance. And a well-established order has been upset. Of course things are chaotic. How could they not be? There are cultural Nephilim battling it out all around us and begging us to join them. Begging specifically for your allegiance. 
And here's the thing, at some point, I don't know when or what, but at some point, I just assume one of these ideologies is going to win and take the throne, and so be it, I guess. That's not my point. Here's my point. Don't fall for the Nephilim. Don't accept the watered-down ideologies that have pieces of Christianity, but not the whole. Don't give yourself over to a way of thinking that cannot begin to tell the ultimate story. I'm going to read the quote from James Shea one more time. Faith gives us from God himself the overall narrative for the human race, who we are, who God is, what his purposes toward us are, how we've gotten into our current state, what God is doing about it, what's coming in the future, and therefore how we should live. Only Jesus can do that. Only genuine faith in Christ can do that. And all of this brings me back to Haggai. I don't know if you were wondering if we would get there. Moving toward the end here, though, don't worry. That was not my introduction. Haggai 2. <laughs> Just going to read four verses and make one point from it. Haggai 2, 11 to 14. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and we all know what that's like. <laughs> Isn't it so hard to like fill the cultural gap when you read stuff and you're like, what? Okay, <laughs> but you can imagine it maybe. A man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it, as in the other food, now become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these things, do those things then become defiled? And the priest answered, yes, it does become defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people, and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled. So, it's a parable, um, and we can get it, I know it was a lot of words, but he says if, if something is dirty, it can't be made clean just by touching something clean, okay? But the reverse, on the other hand, if something is clean, it can be made dirty just by touching something dirty, so we've all been living through a pandemic together, so I feel like I have a great way of explaining this, okay? If I sneeze into my hand and then shake your hand, which I wouldn't do, okay? You're like, how dare you? It's not personal. It's an illustration. And then shake your hand. Does your clean hand make my sneezy hand clean? Okay. Does my sneezy hand make your clean hand dirty? Yes. That's all he's saying. He's saying purity doesn't transfer like that. Impurity does. Here's the point, guys. Putting some Christian language on something doesn't make it right. But putting something foreign into Christianity defiles the whole thing. Guys, if you have some cake and I put some poison in it, the whole cake is poisoned. But if I have some poison and you put some cake in it, the whole thing doesn't become cake. That's the point. We've been talking about the collapse of Christendom. I have been trying to convince you not to worry about that because Christendom's not the point. But you may really be struggling with that. That's a hard thing to get your head around. It would be reasonable for you to ask, why? 
Would God let Christendom fall? That seems like such a bad thing to happen. Well, here's my answer to that. And, sincerely, you can take it or leave it. You really can. Christendom fell because it was defiled. It had linked up with so many sneezy hands. It had rubbed shoulders with so many foul things that what was left barely even resembled the teachings of Jesus. So when people prayed, God, please save Christendom. Now, we didn't pray those actual words, right? Because most people don't talk like that. But Lord, help Christians hold on to cultural power and societal influence and all the institutions and all the halls of power. Lord, help us hold on to these things. They're saying, God, please save Christendom. And I think the Lord's answer was, why would I do that? It is defiled. Christendom is using my name in vain. It has. Christendom has, has ascribed so many evil things to Jesus. So many horrible things have been done in his name. Why would he protect that? It's not bad that Christendom fell. Because this sort of like watered down, on the fringe, not sincere cultural Christianity that emerges from Christendom has not been representing Jesus well at all. Christendom has been lying to the world about who Jesus is. Guys, America didn't reject Jesus. It didn't even reject Christianity. It rejected Christendom. And maybe it was right. But what that means is we have a chance in the aftermath to do something different. To do something pure and undefiled. A new uprising gives us an opportunity to offer people the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus not the tawdry, half-witted Jesus that's been peddled for the last however long. Not a watered-down or politically entangled Jesus. Just pure Jesus. Undefiled. Lifted directly from the pages of the Gospels. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say this. It may not be on the screen. If so, it's, that's on me. Don't worry. But listen closely. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Let's hit pause right there. I don't think it's a stretch to say that a lot of folks have been waving the Jesus flag while flapping their tongues completely out of control. Saying hurtful, painful, vile, just spewing vitriol everywhere. And according to the Bible, that's just not what authentic faith looks like. We should look at that and go, that's not authentic faith. Well, what is? That's the next verse, 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look at orphans and widows in their distress, to look after, pardon me, after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The answer is not 
taking the remaining vestiges of a defiled Christendom and then merging it with some other ideology and defiling it even further. And the thing is, I think some really sincere people have done that in an attempt to be devout. They've looked around and go, okay, what are my choices on the buffet here? And this one's the most, I think this one has the most pieces of Christianity, I think. And so I'll just, I'll take this. It's the best I can get. That's the deception. Don't fall for it. That's not the answer. The answer is to go all the way back to Jesus. The real Jesus on the pages of the Gospels. All the way back to the core tenets of our faith. And then to walk with that Jesus. Hour by hour. And then to love our neighbors with everything that we've got. And then to do our very best to care about cultural dominance and societal power precisely as much as Jesus did, which I'm pretty sure is none at all. That's the challenge. Let culture pick what it's going to pick. Fine, so be it. I choose the way of Jesus. Undefiled. Let the culture land, whoever takes the throne, it doesn't matter. My throne, the throne of my life, is not vacant, nor is it up for grabs. I, and I hope we, choose the way of Jesus, pure and undefiled by these other ideologies that want to take something good and mix it in with something else and make it something different. Okay, that's enough out of me. Uh, David or thumbs up, okay, or Jacob or some someone with more talent than me with instruments or not, it's fine. Um, we're gonna do, we're gonna do. I thought maybe for one sec if Jacob thought, well, he's more talented than I am, which would not be true. <laughs> I know four cowboy chords, okay. Um, we're going to have Selah, same way we do every week, and uh, Selah is just a couple of minutes for us to, to just honestly to think and to pray and go, okay, does this ring true? And to what extent might this be true of me? And what might I need to learn and apply? And what might I need to change or do in order to say yes to Jesus? That's what we do. This, that's what Selah is. And I just want to just very, very quickly remind you of something. Jesus gave this very simple premise. And um, it's very helpful for us today. He said, good trees, good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. So if you or somebody you know has kind of taken on one of these ideologies, then use the test that Jesus gave us. It's a really good litmus test. Did that go well for you? Or did not go well? Did it bear good fruit or did it bear bad fruit? Did you find more peace and love and kindness ruling your days? Or did it bear bad fruit like anger and outrage and judgment and disdain? It's a simple test. What I've seen again and again and again, just it's so heartbreaking. I've seen people who just really love Jesus be taken by these hollow and deceptive philosophies and then I've watched them one after another become angry, bitter, foul-mouthed, enraged people. What happened 
it's clearly not good fruit. But walking with Jesus, loving our neighbor, staying true to the real Jesus, the God of Scripture on the pages of the Gospels that we see it demonstrated in the book of Acts, that, I think if you honestly scrutinize it, you'll find bears good fruit again and again. Now, I can honestly say, I think, I think I can honestly say that I have not wholesale taken on any of these ideologies. However, it would be very naive of me to assume that I haven't been affected by all of them. We all have. Guys, we're swimming in it. You can say I went swimming and I didn't get wet and everyone will think you're nuts. It's not a thing. We're swimming in it. We all got wet. So, okay, what does it look like to dry off? If we've taken on these ideologies, how might we choose instead the way of Jesus? And if these ideologies are starting to get on to us, how might we wipe them off? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you. And we love your way. We love the way of being human that you revealed to us and the way you were human. We love the way you lived your life. And we want to live our life the way you lived your life. We want to walk with you. We want to love our neighbor. We want to serve We want to pour out our lives for the sake of others. We want to do it the Jesus way. And we confess, Lord, that to some extent, perhaps we've taken on these other ways. We're not then pure and undefiled. We throw ourselves on your grace, upon your mercy. Say, Lord, would you correct what needs to be corrected, reveal what needs to be seen, so that we might just go the way of Jesus, period. Have the world view, the story about the world that you have given us, may it inform our everything. Lord Jesus, please let it be, let it be true of us. Dear Lord Jesus, may it be true of us. We just want do the Jesus thing full on nothing else undefiled pure Jesus we love you we love you